this morning. I want to suggest to you as we come out of worship and get into the message that you spend a significant portion of your life attempting to bring order out of chaos. Can anybody say amen to that? I think you do it more than you think, more than you realize. Some of you, you've been trying to work on bringing order out of chaos since you got up this morning, especially if you had young kids and you're trying to get, I remember those days. I remember being the young kid that was instigating the chaos that my poor parents were trying to get me to church on time or whatever. This idea uh, is a theme that we're going to see in the message today, and it's one of those things that once you see it, you sort of can't unsee it. You can't not see it. Uh, all around you, you have this, uh, this movement of trying, uh, albeit sometimes more successfully than others, to bring order out of chaos. There's a reason that the chairs that you are sitting in are not haphazardly thrown around and maybe upside down. They're actually set in some rhyme or reason. There's a reason that there's a li- there are lines in the parking lot when you parked your car. There's a reason that uh, the, the service starts at a certain time, which some of you are here for, right? But life, you know, it, it works in this kind of way. So when you start to see it, it's hard not to see it. So I was thinking about this idea that much of your life involves the attempt to bring order out of chaos. You know, our education system is all about that. It involves the systematic development of basic skills that get refined and increased over time so that you likely learned the alphabet before you learned to read. And then some of you have gone on in the languages to earn multiple degrees, and so you've been able to achieve multiple things, but you did it sequentially, and there was some kind of order to it. Um, I was thinking about my own experience in education, as a child, do you remember how they would do this? They, you remember spelling words when you were a little kid? Elementary school, probably first grade. I think I was in first grade. And, and we had very simple uh, words, and you're just kind of starting to get command of the English language, so you're starting to write real basic things. And so we were doing that exercise where you take all of your spelling words, and you have to write them in a sentence. And my poor teacher. Uh, so I'm, I'm writing, my spelling word was pen, and uh, I thought about whether or not I could share this story. How do I, how do I share this story in church? But I'm going to give it a try. So I, I wrote the sentence, that pen is mine, and I was not yet at the age where I was fully appreciating the importance of spaces between words and the changing of words that can be pretty dramatic. Uh, you can get to a very different outcome, I guess, what I'm saying. And so I turned this in, assignment, and I got it back with a huge question mark. Like, what are you trying to say? I think you're trying to say something. Some of you are like, that's funny. And some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you at lunch today are going to be like, oh, that is funny. Okay. I was a kid. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing. So, but, but order out of chaos. Like, it matters. And, and again, you start to see the places that, that it matters in, in your own life. You see where, where order matters. And, and even now, you're kind of fighting against the, the winds of chaos. We, we talked about this last week a little bit in this idea of, of homothumadon and what do we do in the church because every organization uh, and, and the health of that organization, whether it's home or church or work or something else, depends on a sense of organization and synergy. And chaos tends to feel very non-productive. 
So when we talked last week about that idea, homo thumeron, being in one flow of the Spirit, that is an organizational sort of statement. That is an order out of chaos statement that God takes us where we are and puts us in His family and then puts us on mission together, and the potential when we get that right is actually really beautiful. Uh, culture tends to feel very healthy when at the very least we can reason together about the places that we disagree. So we've come through a season and probably in a season right now where the lament for many is I, I can't even reason with people who feel differently than I do because everything's so elevated, everything's so heightened that it's very difficult to have that sense of order and things quickly descend into a feeling of chaos. You can feel that way. Even the simple mundane tasks of basic adulting require a sense of order. Whether it's grocery shopping or paying bills or planning the next family get-together for the holidays, and some of you are like, we kind of need to do that because they're coming. Today, you will, to varying degrees of success, bring order out of your chaos, and we call it life. The question is, why? Why are we geared to be that way? Why are we geared to value that, or at least to attempt to bring order out of chaos? And I would suggest to you today that you are made in the image of a creator God, and today we're going to look specifically at the way that he brings order out of chaos. And it's a literal message, and it's a metaphor, and it has implications for us as a community, and it has implications for us as individuals. It's really quite beautiful. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. We're starting a new series today, and I feel like I should give you just a little bit of background in terms of like why we're doing what we're doing. We're going to spend seven weeks in the book of Genesis. Uh, the big picture looks kind of like this. In our last series on worship, some of you will re remember you're with us for several weeks when we were talking about draw near, we were in the book of Hebrews. We spoke about the importance of God's word and listening for God's voice. So that even some of the things that we're doing today, we want you to hear God's word in Scripture calling you in, calling you in and assembling you in presence. We want you to hear God's word as we look at his written word together. We want you to hear God's voice sending you out as you go to your mission field and the various callings on your life. And so we thought it would be uh, valuable especially in the, in the spirit of, of biblical literacy, our desire is that over the next several years that we will actually preach through the entirety of the Bible. Uh, and we don't do that often, and frankly, a lot of churches don't do that. Uh, and so over the next several years, we're going to be doing this as systematically as we can, just to give you a little bit of a heads up so that you're not wondering our if there's a method to our madness or not. Uh, we're not doing this verse by verse. We're not going to do every verse of the Bible and exegete the whole thing. I did hear about a pastor who did that, literally went through the entire Bible and then retired. It took like 40 years. He did his whole career. He's like, just, he just, I just preached the whole Bible and I was done, which I guess there's a certain level of like, you know, uh, of thoroughness to that and completion, but we're not going that approach uh, right now. And we're also not going to go linearly. So we're not going to do Genesis, then Exodus, then Leviticus, then Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you'll actually probably thank me for that. But we're going to mix in so that we're going to do Gospels and we're going to do Old Testament, prophetic, we're going to do epistles, we're going to do law, we're going to do uh, several things over the next several years. So um, this is part of the journey, and 
uh, though we have been kind of working on this for some time, it feels like a good time to kind of bring you up to speed on kind of what we're trying to do. Uh, the other thing is, our staff put this together. I thought this was brilliant. Um, it's just a little reading checklist. Um, and I know some of you, you've got your Bible reading plan, and you're almost done. You read the whole Bible every year and stuff like that. We love that. That's great uh, if that's the kind of track that you're on. I also talk to Christian people a lot who say, I've actually never read the whole Bible. Uh, so we thought as we go through every book of the Bible, this will give you an opportunity to read along. And so we have these little markers in the, uh, at the info desk. And so you pick one up. This one is Genesis, and it kind of walks you through, keeping you more or less in pace with where we're going sermon-wise. But it's several uh, chapters per week and uh, easily done in the space of the seven weeks. You'll get the book of Genesis down. So we want to encourage you to uh, consider that. Uh, we will continue to follow the theme that we've talked about many times with creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So just in terms of big picture. Interestingly, though, we're going to cover creation today. We're going to cover fall next week. And then we're going to take the next five years to do uh, redemption and restoration. So that, if you're like, whoa, they're going so fast. We're going to be done with it. It's going to take a little while. Uh, Genesis has two major sections to it, just to give you a little bit of orientation. If you don't know this, it, it begins the first 11 chapters in a very general way with God's interaction with the world. Uh, and then it gets more specific with God's interaction with a specific family line, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob family line that becomes his, his people, uh, his covenant people. Uh, and that covers the entire uh, rest of the book, Genesis 12 to uh, 50. Um, we're actually going to spend, uh, one of our stopping points throughout this journey is going to be looking at that Abrahamic covenant because it's so pivotal as we understand what God has done through that people and the blessing that is promised to come that will point us to Jesus. That's another sermon, but just to give you an idea of what the, how the book of Genesis is laid out. So I would like to begin with you at a very good place to start. Genesis chapter 1, we are going to begin in the beginning. Uh, so verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to read uh, now. We're going to look at several verses in the, in the first chapter today. And uh, our message title is Created into Order. So read with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. That was the first day. As you know, there were seven of them. On the seventh day, God rested. Um, what I'd like to do today in a hundred directions that we could take this message, because it's a very broad topic, it's a very big topic, I want to begin today with a little working definition on the, what we would just call the doctrine of creation. What is it that we believe about creation? And I think that this is sort of important for us. I have to be honest with you that this message was super intimidating to prepare because though I've worked on it for months and I've given good attention to the study for weeks, 
I had moments in the actual writing of the like kind of putting proverbial pen to, to paper that I really wondered what in the world I was getting myself into uh, in taking on such a big topic. You see, there's a lot of conflict and debate around this subject. I mean, even, even when you read through the book of Genesis, there's all kinds of questions and things culturally that immediate, immediately emerged. Uh, questions of origin, question of human life, questions of gender and how God made them. I mean, so it is fraught with subjects that even in our modern day uh, are very hot topics. But even within the church community, you have all kinds of different views. There's at least 10 possible views on the relationship between the chronology of Genesis 1 and modern scientific data. Uh, so you could look at young uh, earth creationism. You could look at mature creationism. You could look at revelatory day theory. You could look at gap theory. You could look at local creation theory, the intermittent day theory, the day age theory, the analogical day theory, the framework view, and the religion only theory. And I got like half of those through and I was like, how in the world are we going to study all of these and figure out you know, how we could even begin to agree on what God has given us in creation? So what I, what I like to do is I want to actually just begin with a very, def, a very simple definition around the doctrine of creation. And this is what it states. The doctrine of creation states that God, who alone is uncreated and eternal, has formed and given existence to everything outside of himself. He did this from nothing by the word of his power, and all of it was very good. That's a very simple definition of the doctrine of creation. But I want you to notice that both this definition and the scriptural text that we've already looked at leave many questions unanswered. We can begin to share this to note that historical Christianity, going back to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, always believed that God was the creator of the universe. And so this is one of our demarcation lines that says to have a Christian worldview or to have a theistic worldview or a view that God created is to understand that God is, in fact, the creator of the universe. Now, the discussion around lots of other ancillary questions I think is good and I think can be fruitful, but it also can cause us to miss what God has done in creation because we spend all of our time and energy in debate mode. So what I decided not to do was to say, hey, let me tell you my personal view on view of creation and see if I can argue you into believing that, but simply to say there's a lot of uh, different views uh, and it's important for us to be able to still stand in awe of what God has done. And that is the goal of this message. It actually kind of makes me think of um, Penn State football. It cracks me up to listen to like post-game analysis and fans calling in. Do any of you listen like to those shows or whatever? Some of you are those fans. That's okay. We love you. Uh, but it's, it's hilarious because after a signature big win like Penn State beats Auburn, it's like, oh, SEC team, this is a big deal. The, the fans, uh, the responses are so comical to me because it's like, I don't think the sky is high enough to talk about how much uh, a possibility this team has. We should be talking national championship. We should be talking Heisman contenders, all of them, Heisman contenders. And it's just people go really overblown on how good this team is. Followed by the next week, where there's a lackluster win, still a win, over a lesser opponent, and literally some of those fans are calling in now to say, I, I think we need to be talking about firing the head coach. He's got to go. 
He's got to go. I know he's given us a, an undefeated season so far, but I don't really like the way he's doing it. In fact, you know, so people have this way of sort of like debating and discussing and trying to figure out, and they get so elevated around these subjects and their opinion on these subjects that they miss out on the fact that, well, the game was actually supposed to be fun. It's actually to, to enjoy. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and you root for your team or whatever, or you root for, root for a different team. So it's that kind of spirit to say, let's not miss out on standing in awe of what God has done, simply because even within this room, there's going to be uh, disparate views on how God has achieved it. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. One of the demarcation pieces in our definition of creation, or the doctrine of creation. Today, what I'm going to focus specifically on is the move from chaos to order, which has been the tone that we're trying to set in this message. And again, I think there's 150 different ways we could go. Uh, it was freeing to me, actually, to just hear the Lord say, just talk about these things. Just go after this in the spirit of understanding creation from chaos to order. So, so the next point is just that we're called out of chaos. We see this beginning. Now, the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The language that is used here is actually really fascinating and really helpful uh, to get you a, a clean picture of what it is that God is doing in this creation process. I want to give some props, though, to Tim Mackey and the friends at the Bible Project who do some really good work. Tim Mackey, who, although his voice sounds like that of a cartoon vegetable, uh, he has some wonderful wisdom and insight to share on biblical understanding uh, and the creation story in particular. Uh, one of the things that he would say is this, that the nature of our world is that it is a chaotic and uninhabitable place, so that left to its own devices, it tends to go, and this is the law of entropy, right? Things tend to go toward disorder, not order. And so that's the state of the world that, that God is looking at as he is beginning. So then we get this really interesting Hebrew phrase that talks about what, what was actually happening in the context of the, the world. And, and the, the, the phrase is, uh, is tohu vavohu, which is kind of fun to say. Tohu vavohu, and I'd like to hear you say it. There you go. Tohu vavohu. And I'm asking you to say it once so that you can get an interesting Hebrew phrase down, but also I would love for this to become more of our vernacular. I would love to hear parents telling their children uh, this week, you know, this room is tohu vavohu, and, and I'm, I'm tired of it. You know what I mean? The meaning of the word is wild and waste is probably the best definition of it. And that is the phrase that is translated into this world being formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the water. This phrase in general describes a place that is uninhabitable. And then this is the thing that becomes really amazing when we start to just step back, just try to appreciate what God has done in the work of creation. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So I gave you tohu vavohu. I want to give you another one. Um, this is a Hebrew word, ruach. You've got to say it like you're clearing your throat a little bit. Ruach. 
Can you say that? Now, I want you to say it with your hand over your mouth like this. Ruach. This is our way of being responsible. You know, we're not spraying. Ruach. It's actually, I'm doing that because can you, can you feel that when you say it? Ruach. You can feel that, and it actually becomes a great example because the word ruach, which we translate the Spirit of God, is also wind or the breath of God. And so I want you to just kind of get this mental picture in your mind, this wild and waste kind of desolation, and yet the Spirit of God is hovering over it. And this creation act begins like this, that God comes into the chaos of our world and brings his life-giving breath. He brings his life-giving presence. He gives the reality of his spirit, and then he begins to create by his word. So how do you get the breath out of you? You say the word, right? So the word of God is the creative means by which he brings life and order out of the chaos. Now, C.S. Lewis made this comment. He said it's sort of fascinating that God is the only being that does that kind of thing. Even human beings, we say we create all the time. And he says, but listen, even the artists and the poets, they've got to borrow from that which is actually created to build. And there's something honorable and good and beautiful about that nature in us. We're made in the image of God, and so we love to build, we love to create, but we're not creating. We're taking that which is created and building it together. It's the difference between God and humanity. But we see this calling out of the chaos, really amazing. It is remarkable when someone has the ability to see within the chaos of that which is unformed and call out life and call out potential and to call out order. We get little snapshots of this. You know, the artists among us that are like, I, I see the picture. I see the way that it could be. Um, we, we just walking by a field yesterday and my son was like, it's like Bob Ross, except he'd have a happy tree right here, you know. You know it's a very beautiful picture. But when you can imagine that in your mind, when you can imagine the, the, the thread of the novel or the, the story that you're gonna tell, it's, it's this picture of being able to call out of something that is yet unformed and making it into something beautiful. That is precisely what God does by his abiding and creating presence and the power of his word. Now, I need to pause on this and say, I understand that you may not be in agreement with that worldview. Like you may not look at the world around you and you say, hey, I think God breathed this into existence. You, you may be coming from a very, very different uh, vantage point or place. What I'm trying to do in saying is say this is a statement that Christians say pertains to the world as we know it. This is a part of what it means to believe in God is that we believe in a God who creates. And the other piece that maybe is just worth noting on this is that we're not talking about something that's just completely ethereal. We're not talking about something that's just you know, a theory or an idea that you can't see. We're talking about making sense of the world that we do see. We're talking about making sense of the world that we live in and breathe in and do stuff in and try to make order out of chaos ourselves. It's that world that we're in. So we're not making up a make-believe world and asking you to have faith in it. We're talking about the world that we are in now. The evidence is, in fact, all around us. How we interpret that evidence is actually the definition of our view of life, our view of faith, and our understanding of God.
So I just want to acknowledge that. So this idea of being called out of chaos, there's something very beautiful uh, as we get a, a picture of God's work in that. And then it's not just called out of chaos, but, but spoken into order. So we only went through the first five verses in Genesis 1, but we see here on day one, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And this is fascinating. In this, in this, if you put it in the grid of from chaos into order, light is just such a vital and important piece, right? Light is literally, it's an illumination of that which would otherwise be unseen. So that we would say, metaphorically, I'm in the dark, and we never mean that to say, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, making good progress here. So I'm in the dark, I don't know what to do. Or literally, I'm in the dark, and some of you got changed in the dark or dressed in the dark this morning, and that's why your socks don't match or whatever, right? I mean, it's like chaos ensues when things are not illuminated. So the first thing that God does is he says, I'm going to make light. I'm going to make light. And then this, this fascinated me too, that he calls the light day. And day is a measure of time. And time is one of the building blocks of order and synergistic movement that we really can't get away from. I mean, we, we do, we, this, this wouldn't make sense here. We wouldn't be able to do this if we didn't know when to do it. But there was a start time, and there may even be an ending time uh, to what we're doing. And you have plans that you have coming up. And so all of this, God on day one is saying, I'm creating light to illuminate, and I'm calling it by a measurement of time. And then he begins to call into order, and what we see here are the domains, the land and the sea and the sky, and then the inhabitants for those domains. So the day two, we see the sky. Day three, the land and the seas and the plants. And day four, we see the sun and the moon and the stars. And day five, aquatic life, birds of the air. Uh, day six, land animals and humanity. And then on day seven, it says God rested. I want to ask you to consider this today. I think there's a there's a point of application to this message that's very simple. Uh, the very simple part of application to this message is, when is the last time that you just took a few moments of time to appreciate the world around you in all of its beauty, in all of its order, in all of its complexity? You don't have to be a Christian to do that, by the way. I mean, you can, you can go outside and you can say, look at grass growing and trees doing their thing. I mean, there's something sort of hauntingly beautiful about the world that we live in. And it's actually a really powerful apologetic. Just apologetic meaning like a reason for the faith that we have when you stop and you begin to look around. So I would encourage you, if this is not your norm, I would encourage you to take some time in this beautiful season of fall to just get in the woods somewhere and get, get quiet somewhere and take in a scene around you. I did this recently, and there were a few things I mentioned before. Once you start seeing order, it's hard to not see it, right? So recently, just this week, I was sitting in the woods, and I was looking at a flock of turkeys. Those are weird animals. Yeah. They're a unique species. But I'm looking at these things, and they're, they're self-sustaining. They're rooting around, and they're getting food, and they're chasing each other and doing their turkey stuff. And you can cue the turkeys, observing turkeys uh, joke whenever you want. Um, they're highly sensory perceptive. I don't know if you know that about turkeys. They can see you a mile away. 
They're able to subsist. They're able to procreate. They're able to live in a highly complex physical body with multiple interworking systems. And so you see a turkey, but I was looking at that, I'm going, I see order. I see a created thing that is sort of amazing to me. And as this is happening, a little bit about trees. I'm, I'm looking at these turkeys from a tree. Um, and in case you're putting the dots together, it's because I like to go hunting. Some people don't like hunting, so I just like to give the caveat. Very few animals are ever harmed or injured in my hunting excursions. Okay? Very passive, sort of, I love to see animals, and so I love to be out there among them. Okay, so just, if it makes you feel better, I'll just share that with you. Um, yeah, so I'm sitting in a tree. This is another very unique species, also self-sustaining. Not agile or mobile, but rooted and stable. Subsisting in a highly complex physical structure with multiple interworking systems. Oh, and by the way, the tree and I are symbiotic as it's feeding me oxygen and I return carbon dioxide. And I go like, this is kind of crazy order. When you just think about it, just very, this is rudimentary, just a very basic kind of look. But you, you see order. Speaking of trees, so I'm sitting there in my tree and thinking about the created order, and a quote came to my mind. This is from Annie Dillard. Um, and she was saying, like, imagine if you were God, and, and, and the quote's actually kind of funny. She says, you want to make a forest, something to hold the soil and lock up energy and give off oxygen. Wouldn't it be simpler just to rough in a slab of chemicals, a green acre of goo? It's a fascinating quote, actually, and some of you that are engineers in the room go like, yeah, like, you know, if you're, not, if you're not moved by the aesthetic parts of the world, you're like, that would probably be efficient, just do it that way. But she's actually drawing attention to something that's really kind of a wild question. It's not just the fact that systems on the, through in the, the created order uh, can be efficient, but that they might be efficient and admirable. And admirable. And this is actually the language that we started the service with today from Psalm 8, when the psalmist says, when I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place. What's he doing? This is the language of worship. So I, I wonder if just a little sub-point to this message, but an important challenge would be for those of us who tend to be too busy even to stop and look at the beautiful sunset, to stop and look and see what God has done. See what it does in your own heart or spirit. I mentioned that it is a powerful apologetic. Uh, this example came to me this week, although I had, I had heard the story before. Anthony Flew, I don't know if you know that name. Um, Anthony Flew was one of the most famous philosophers of the 20th century. And late into his 70s, he shocked the philosophical world when he came out as a believer in God. He had never been one before. And I heard about this from some other friends of mine that I knew, and they were like, do you hear about this with Anthony Flew? I'm not a philosophy guy, so I, just, I didn't know. This. He's like, this is a huge name, and this guy has, has come to believe that there is a God. And this was a huge deal. This was a huge change in his previous perspective. But here's what he said. Flew said that he just didn't see any other compelling explanation for the complexities of design and creation, 
For years, he had tried to make peace with it, but he just, he, it just couldn't be that the wonderful, beautiful complexity and intelligence of life emerged from mute chaos. That was his word. There had to be, as Thomas Edison said, a captain on the bridge. So I'm just sharing this with you today that though we want to have an understanding of Genesis 1 and a God who creates, that it is actually a very powerful apologetic to pause and to simply think about the world that you live in and the finely tuned nature of it. Now, you might rightly protest today saying your example of trees and turkeys, (laughs) well, beautiful in their own way, um, they show that you might show me footage though of disordered creation like here's a picture I looked at this last week a hurricane destroys homes and lives and and you say yeah something does not feel right and this this seems to be the the driving kind of reaction when there is tragedy when there's kind of created world run amok kind of experiences we wish it wouldn't have been like this something doesn't feel right and it's not now here's the thing that's kind of amazing even if that's kind of your bent or maybe you say like you know I'm not a big fan of the created world because of things like this here's what I interpret that as your own heart confirms the lack of God's shalom on this side of the fall and yet it's even more than that so your own heart is, is acknowledging The world is not as it feels it should be, which is a really fascinating thing that people would feel that way. A lot of people would feel that way, but it even goes a little deeper than that. There's a lack of God's shalom on this side of the fall, and it betrays a hope inside that the world actually could be right. Because if we didn't think it actually could be right, why would we say that? And why would we think this way at all in a lifetime that you have lived where it never has been right? You've never lived in the perfect shalom of God. You've lived in the era after the fall and during the redemption and now restoration. But you've never seen it perfect. So that's a fascinating question, especially for those who are saying, I don't look at creation and see beauty but you look at creation and you wish you could. So here's a, here's a kind of wrap up. Here's where we'll go with this. Um, I actually found this message, uh, I, had a, I had a dilemma. You know, so my dilemma, when I was working on it, thinking about it and everything quite a while ago, was like, where do we go with this? Because I can preach that we have a God who created. That's the, that's the Christian worldview. I can preach that to you. I can read you Genesis chapter one. I can even read you Genesis chapter 1 in the following uh, verses where it says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. That's what we call the cultural mandate, that there's a, there's a calling on the life of the man and the woman to actually steward the created world. So there's a whole sermon in that. There's the theology of work, because before the fall came, there was already working and tending to this beautiful thing that God had made. There's a relationship with God that is unscathed yet by sin, and that's fascinating and beautiful. And there is actually a, a snapshot of the shalom of God. So we see in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
And that's the end of that part of the creation account. So here's my dilemma. Like, we can talk about that. We could share that. I can preach that. We can look at that in the Word together. But, like, where, where do we go with that on a personal level? And then I'm reading in a devotional, Oswald Chambers. I read a lot of Oswald Chambers devotionals and stuff. And he makes this comment. I don't know if he knew what I was thinking, because he's dead. But anyway, uh, I don't know where he was going in this, but, but a light bulb went off in my mind when he said this. If the call for the Christian follower of Christ is that you would just be like Jesus, make better decisions to look more like Christ, act like Christ in the things that you do, where, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find discouragement because you can't do it, and you're going to find bitterness that sets in because you're being asked to do it. Except you're not being asked to do it. You're not being asked to, to imitate Christ. You're asking Christ to breathe something new in you. So when the psalmist said, and that's my own sort of thoughts, I'm, I sort of, this light bulb goes off, I go, oh. So now when I'm reading verses like Psalm 51, where the psalmist says, create in me a new heart. Well, that makes a lot of sense if you're worshiping a God who creates. When Paul writes things like, if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. I've heard that many times. I've celebrated that many times. But when I think about that in light of a God that creates, now I've got a whole different perspective. And the list actually goes on. It's a rich, I mean, it's a rich list. You read your Bible. Again, you, once you start to see it, you can't unsee it. That we have a God who desires to create. And then I don't think it's a stretch to say we welcome Christ into the chaos of our life to all of the desolate and uninhabitable places, right? All the places we just, I wouldn't be proud to show this. I wouldn't, this is a, this part's really messed. This part's really out of alignment, all that kind of stuff. But I invite Christ into those places. And he says, I want to create something new there. I don't want you to figure out how to fix it. I want to create something new in you. So we welcome Christ into the chaos of our lives, allow him to speak a new creation there. Uh, incidentally, we, if you're in Christ today, you're in the church, part of the ecclesia, you're part of the, you know, those who call, follow Christ. Uh, you still need order out of chaos unless you're all done, right? Right, so I mean, that's kind of like a misnomer. Like, well, once you come in these walls and you start worshiping, you know, if you're part of the church, then you got all figured out. But those guys out there, they need to, you know, well, no. There's chaos that needs to be brought to order in the lives of people who don't know Christ. And there's chaos in your life that still needs to be brought to order, even in Christ. It's called growing. It's called being sanctified. It's called becoming more Christ-like. I'm just glad we have a way to get there that is not dependent on our effort. And that's the joy of a God who can create. Isn't that awesome? kind of a cool cool place for us to start this journey together so um why don't we pray and then we're gonna worship and uh we're gonna sing worship and then we're gonna uh wrap up but why don't we stand together i just want to pray over you um sense that maybe god wants to do some renewal i kind of felt that as we were getting this started and so maybe that's you today god just got you know the places that you need some renewal today and uh maybe this gives you a little bit of extra confidence just to approach that throne of grace um Find help and grace in your time of need. So Jesus, thank you for letting us in, letting us be a part of this 
created world that you have made. And thank you, Lord, that there's, you know, limitless application and, and digging in as we sort of think about what does that mean for you to have called order out of chaos and, and what does that mean that you desire to do that even in us on a personal level and uh, so I guess my prayer simply would be God if there are places that need the divine work of you creating of you remaking of you pouring in God that you would give us uh, just a freedom and a hunger and a desire to say do, do that here Lord don't pass me by don't pass me by. Uh, so there's a, this is a great invitation. And I just sense in my own spirit that maybe some of you can respond to that. And you, you hear that. You say, yeah, I, I hear that. The, it's like, the, it's like the, the spirit of God is hovering over my deep and desolate places. Wow. Yeah, so let's maybe just linger there for a moment. As we sing... Um, maybe you, you sing it out and just lift it up and that's good. Maybe you just listen. Maybe you just listen for the voice of Jesus as we sing. Uh, if you have prayer needs and you say, hey, I, gotta, I really got to get some time kind of on the mercy seat. I need to spend some time with the Lord this morning. You know, I love, you know, praying with people up here. If you guys want to come up and pray, seats open on the front seats, the altar is open. But just that prayer to say, God, we're just asking for renewal today. That's powerful prayer. So don't, don't miss that if that's you. So Lord, help us, stir us, move in us in all the ways that you desire. And thank you for setting us on a, a journey here together. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Why don't we respond as we sing?